want to say hello to everybody in the rooms and those of you who are watching out there on uh, Facebook and YouTube, etc. We're in the fourth part of a series on the book of Revelation and uh, very excited about continuing that. We're going to be in this for eight weeks total. And one of the things, as you know, we're doing is, is it's real simple to say, how do I gauge with Southbrook? And it's two ways, campus and city lights. Campus is where we go to church and city lights is where we be the church. And our mission is to connect people to Christ, not religion. And we think in this era, the best chance we have of showing people Jesus is actually not on campus. It's off campus. It's out there where people are living. And so we divided our church into four regions. We have regional pastors over each one, city pastors who are developing infrastructure of community care and connection. And so, as you know, we're praying over respective regions each week, and today is the north region, which the north for us is relative to this spot we're in right now. So north of here is our north region, so Kettering, Oakwood, Dayton, Huber Heights, Vandalia, Tip City, uh, the Northmont area, those are, all, those are all north region sites, and we're creating these networks of community care and connection. And today, really excited because you just have, and many of you know, Cami is one of our lead worship leaders, and uh, she's also the north region pastor. And Mike Group, to her left, many of you know Mike, uh, Mr. Shock Doctor, uh, he is uh, one of the city pastors with Laura Buffington on our staff, and just creating these networks of event stories and prayer, connection, care, and community, and we're going to pray over them right now, right gang? We're going to pray that God uses them to, to show Dayton and its vicinity, Jesus Christ, alive. Do we need that in Dayton? Right? We do, and I'm just going to pray over them right now. Lord, I thank you that people like Cammie and Mike and Laura said yes said, yes, here am I, Lord, send me. It's hard to start something new. It's hard to start something new that is opposed by the enemy. The enemy doesn't want light to go into darkness. The enemy wants to hold people captive in darkness and fear. And people like Mike Roop and Cammie Mosier have said, I'll be light starters. In the words of Revelation, I'll be a part of the lampstand that'll hold your light in the north region. We've already seen that in 2020 in our partnership with Anthony Parker and so many things that are going on. We're already seeing it in a, in a world that really isn't allowed to gather much. They've created connection, care, and community through events, stories, and prayer. We pray today. We join together with all of our Brothers and sisters in this room, watching through the camera, we pray for them. That you preserve their health of their families. That you protect them emotionally and spiritually. That, they, that you show them the resurrection power of Christ living in them and through them. Ministry of light is so hard if all of us who are serving in your kingdom knew how hard it was, we might have not gotten into it because it's just so hard. But we come around them right now to pray that they experience what you said, Jesus, when you said, if you bear much fruit, you will bring glory to my Father. May they bear much fruit out of this prayer of faith today by your children. In Jesus' name and character and power and authority, we pray 
And all of Southbrook who heard this said, Amen. Let's give it up for Mike and Cammie and the North Region team. Thanks, Cam. Thanks, Michael. Hey, a couple things. If today you get some questions from this, which we're right in the belly of the beast, blood, bulls, and, and things this morning with Revelation. And if you have questions, tomorrow we have a follow-up event that's on Facebook and YouTube called Weekend Hangover, where Austin and myself, we unpack the weekend a little bit. We take some questions. We interact. Laura Buffington joins us. And we give you some things that we just don't have the time to give you on Sunday. So that's noon Facebook, you can get, uh, go to Weekend Hangover at southbrook.org and you can get a reminder that it's on. Uh, you can also do that via Facebook. We are tomorrow are going to be doing that at 12 o'clock as we're doing every Monday. If you have questions that come up today, get your phone out and go to hello at southbrook.org and just put your question up there. Obviously, in 35 minutes, we, we can't answer every question, but especially when we see a common denominator of questions coming forward, we want to make sure that we answer those. Today's subject matter should probably bring up some questions for you. We also want you to know that more than ever, the local church is being sustained by things like push pay. Because churches like ours, before the COVID pandemic hit, we had about 60 to 65% of our income through offerings came electronically, and that has literally saved us because many churches are not going to make it through this because they weren't set up to receive offering other than in person. And uh, you know, last year, from this year, we've cut our budget $1.3 million. Our, our ministries basically have no budget. We're putting what we have into salaries to sustain leadership through this time, but if we get through that, it'll be this period, it'll be because you guys were faithful and generous. And so make sure you use that mechanism. We're about a hundred or a little over a hundred thousand dollars behind right now. Our fiscal year starts in October, so we're a hundred thousand dollars behind a 1.3 million dollar cut in our budget. So you can imagine, I, you know, uh, it's it's just uh, I don't, I've never led a church through a pandemic before. You ever done that? This is this is funky weird, man. I mean this is this is weird. Uh, we're having to make this up as we go along via Indiana Jones, and we uh, we uh, we we need your faithfulness and and being generous with the resources. We realize many of you have not been impacted negatively financially through this, and make sure you're generous through that. Today we're getting into sounds. So today, you know, we've talked a lot about some of the visuals of Revelation. Today, we're going to look at four sounds in Revelation. And today, friends, you are getting a fire hydrant of information. Are you ready? Open wide your mouth and get ready to be blah, 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 blah with information from Revelation. Are everybody ready? So if you've got dullness in your ears, stick your fingers in your ears, dig out the wax, get them clear, because we're going we're gonna to really go, you know, very hard through this today, because there is a poignancy and there is a power to the content today. If you haven't been with us, make sure you go to the previous three weeks, as I gave you a background on oriental apocalyptic literature, and it, it, it doesn't mean what it says, it means what it means, especially to the original hearers. And today I'm going to give you an example of that as we pick up in Revelation chapter 8, and the first sound is the sound of silence. I had that song in my head all week long because of this sermon, but remember, if this is in your head all week long, that is better than let it go, let it go, being in your head all week long which will now be in your head all week long because I said that. This is so poignant. And have you ever struggled praying with prayer? Come on, you're in church. How many of you have ever struggled in prayer? You're going to love this. 
Because the sound of silence is the sound of your prayers being heard. Look at Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, remember there was this scroll, and only the Lamb was worthy of opening the seven seals on the scroll. And the seal would be like a wax uh, sealing of the document, and only the Lamb could open up reality. And this is Jesus. Jesus said, I am reality. I am truth, and the truth will set you free. I will, I will bring your life into reality, not the way you think it should be, the way it is, and that will set you free. And he's the one who can open up the scroll of reality. This is so cool. And the seventh seal, and when he did, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. We're going to sit here for a half an hour. No, that was six seconds of silence. That was a long time, wasn't it? So does it literally mean that heaven just, all production stopped for a half an hour? No. When there's silence for five, six seconds, that seems like a long time. This, this, was, this was intentional pause. About a half an hour, heaven was quiet, which proves there are no cell phones in heaven. Isn't that great? No, it doesn't prove that at all. Another angel, when I saw the I saw the seven angels who stand before God. So seven angels means the 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 representation of God's presence, and seven trumpets were given to them. An authoritative. If you heard seven trumpets, that would be very loud, very authoritative. And another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people. Now, if you were reading the Revelation, you would have already come across chapter 5, verse 8, in which it shows that God gathers up all the prayers of the saints and he collects them. That the prayers of the saints are like incense going up to the nostrils of God. Not literally. It doesn't mean what it says. It means what it means. God literally doesn't have nostrils. It, it means that God, that our prayers are of a good aroma to God. And here, look what he says. With the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar before the throne, the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. Now look at this. It's saying, as they were preparing to receive these prayers, heaven got quiet. I bet you've never thought of prayer this way. We often think that if prayer works, heaven moves. Have you ever realized that your prayers are so valuable that heaven stops? And there's silence. A half an hour of silence, which is a lot of silence. You ever notice how relative time is? If you're the one listening to a sermon, time just seems to drag on forever and ever. If you're the one preaching the sermon, you'd be surprised how fast time goes. You'd be really surprised by that. If, if you're the young couple out on the front porch looking into each other's eyes dreamily, time goes so fast. But if you're the parents in the house waiting for the 11 o'clock curfew to hit, time drags forever. Time is relative, isn't it? And he says, heaven, and we'll see this later, heaven gets quiet with intentional pause for a long time when we pray. In verse 
5 says, Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now, not literally. What this, what this is symbolizing is, is that when we pray, heaven reverberates. That it receives our prayers, and then things happen when we pray. It will be a core truth in your life when you accept the reality that you cannot possibly have every prayer rumble and send earthquakes. It would put an impossible burden on you if you knew that every prayer yours is going to be answered like you want it, when you want it. As much as we think we would want that, it would be an impossible burden. You would become in control, not God. But he's saying here that when we pray, heaven reverberates. Heaven moves with earthquake-like movement. And so remember, the scripture's teaching on prayer is overwhelmingly clear on this point. Prayer changes things. We don't know how, we don't know always when, but you never waste time praying. This is why we talk about the value of solitude, because when you get quiet with God, this passage tells us that the silence of being quiet with God, you're hearing heaven. And then what comes next from that is earthquake-type movement, more than you know. Earthquake, thunder-type movement, more than you know. Uh, Tennyson once said these words. He once said that more things are wrought by prayer than this world knows of, dreams of. I cannot tell you, I, I always looked at prayer as a religious thing you did in church. I, I grew up in church. But one of the reasons I want to lead a church to connect people to Christ, not religion, is because prayer is the greatest privilege we have being believers. That the more you understand that religion puts prayer in a dial-up Wi-Fi connection. Like you gotta you gotta have the right code, you gotta have the right password, and you get the and you get the AOL connection to God, right? When in fact Jesus is interceding for us constantly, the Wi-Fi connection now through Jesus is always there. It's always there. Can you imagine? You're always connected. And at prayer is an adventure and a privilege. It's just, it's just the most amazing thing. I didn't grow up as a prayer. I, I said that now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. I did that as insurance. That was just a total insurance policy. Like if I don't pray this prayer, I'm going to die tonight. And so, I mean, I literally saw prayer as a good luck charm. Now I see prayer as a privilege where I enter into silence and I'm able to say, you know, my dear friend Ron is here today. He just lost his dad and he just brought home his mom with Alzheimer's and he can't really grieve his dad and Ron I'm praying for you brother and my friend Dave who was who was who's part of our church and he just did his third funeral in a few weeks and he said the other day I'm tired and I don't know what happens but more things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of and if you want to do something useful with your life one of the reasons that city lights is beneficial it's about events it's about stories, and it's about what else? If we create a prayer network, it'll be worth it. Because more things on earth are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. Uh, Walter Wink said, history belongs to the intercessors. I believe this literally. 
to those who believe and pray the future into being. History does not belong to the powerful, the wealthy, or the rulers, or the armies, or the corporations, or the global media empires. It doesn't belong to Rome. It doesn't belong to Bill Gates. History belongs to the intercessors, to those who believe and pray the future into being. Interceding is what Jesus is doing right now. That's what Hebrews tells us. It's Christ Jesus who died, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, and who indeed intercedes for us. And whenever you are praying and you hear silence, always remind yourself, I'm hearing what heaven sounds like right now. I'm hearing heaven, the angels, my angels, our angels going, listen. She's giving her heart right now, and it's a burning desire of her heart like incense that is being given to heaven right now. Don't you think that heaven doesn't hear that? It gets quiet when you do that. Is that good news, friends? That's good news, isn't it? There's also the sound of trumpets, and that is the seven judgments of the wicked. The severe seven judgments is coming. And this is a really, really delicate passage. I want to lead us through this a little bit more carefully. Verse uh, 6 says, Then the seven angels, the, the representation of God's reality in the world, who had the seven trumpets, authoritative, prepared to sound them. And the first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down on the earth. Now, I understand times in human history when it felt like literally this was the, this, this was the seal of God's judgment opening. If you were, uh, as I've read in the Great War in World War I, I mean, it felt like if you were in Europe at that time, it's like, this is it. This is it, right? If you've ever done any reading on the Great War, this, this is it. This is the first angel sounding his trumpet. It actually is more powerful than that. This is actually has happened, is happening, and will happen. The judgment of God. I'll show you how. A third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up. All the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died. A third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star, which almost always represents governments and powers, blazing like a torch, fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is bitter. That's what the word wormwood is translated, bitter. A third of the water turned bitter and many people died from the waters that had become bitter so you can't even depend on water now this this judgment is so severe the fourth angel sounded his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck a third of the moon a third of the stars so that a third of them turned dark a third of the day was without light and also a third of the night does anybody see an emerging uh common denominator there by chance yeah this third idea now why is that important it's because earlier he said a fourth. Now it's a third. Is this about, well, gosh, this is literally true. A third of the earth is going to get scorched when God judges. Let it mean what it means, not what it says. This is symbolizing God's merciful judgment. If God wanted to, could he scorch two-thirds of the earth? Could he scorch three-thirds of the earth? He could. But what does he do? He holds back. He holds back. It's not literally means that a third of the earth, and of course we know the United States will be spared. No, it doesn't literally mean two-thirds of the earth is scot-free. It simply means that when God's judgment comes, it is sure and altogether righteous, and it is always limited by his mercy. 
God, Peter tells us, is not willing that any should perish, but that everyone comes to a certain reality. And I'll get to that in a moment. And as I watched, verse 13, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair. And no, this is not the United States. And you'll say, oh, sounds great. This is the U.S. Believe it or not, we're not the center of the universe. Did you know that? <laughs> flying in midair, an eagle is just, it, God's judgment is is resplendent in beauty and like an eagle. Call out in a loud voice, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. There are the people of God who are under the lamb. Inhabitants of the earth is always referencing people who have blown God off because of the trumpet blast about to be sounded by the other three angels. Now again, this gets like, whoa, this is Ghostbusters time, right? We are, you know, cats and dogs living together, mass hysteria. We have now come unglued. Why does God send judgment? Isn't that the question? If you are an atheist or an agnostic listening to this, the very reason that you became disconnected from God was because you couldn't understand why God judges and then why some Christians were glad he does. You ever seen someone preach on this with a gleam in their eye like, yeah, God's going to judge people. And my theory is that there are Christians who have given up things that are fun in this world and they kind of resent the fact that they've given up fun and those pagans haven't and they get into heaven. No way. They're not getting into heaven. If, I, if I'm giving up all this stuff and I'm not having fun, then they're not. I think that's, well, anyway, I just went off on a tangent. That's what's called a tangent. But, but, but a lot of times, have you ever heard someone preach on judgment with a gleam? in their eye and not a tear in their eye. It's because they don't understand the judgment of God. God's judgment is all about bringing people to this reality. And I could make a claim that everything in his work in your life and mine is about always bringing us to the freedom of repentance. Did you hear that? I didn't say the humiliation. I didn't say the degradation. The freedom of living the life of repentance. All this simply means, the word repentance, metanoia, meta meaning change, like metamorphosis, noia, the Greek word for mind, means to turn around, to change your mind. You see, like, you know, Revelation's not chronological. Do you know that? There are actually seven times that he goes through the story. That's why when we get to chapter 11, the end has come. Well, that's not the end of the book. There are 11 more chapters. Why? Because it's not chronological. He just goes over and says the same thing in a different way. And God's work in your life, he's, he, his judgment has come, is coming, and will come. He has judged me out of his love. He has judged me out of his justice. The thing, if you ask me, two things destroyed atheism in my life. It is financial generosity where you see God take care of you. And number two, God's careful judgment of me. He has judged me by a third when he could have judged me by two thirds if he wanted to. You see in this? He holds back. There have been times in my life when, when in his mercy he tenderly judges me and it is corrective. It usually comes through pain and it is, Charlie, you, you don't want to keep going down that path. Usually with me, it has to do with my identity being based in success and people's approval and stuff like that. And if I go down that path enough and I'm not, I'm not sitting in the silence of my identity of God, from God, then a lot of times God judges me. Now, you don't want to keep going down the path of not listening because there's some severe stuff coming in the severity of his love for all of us. What this does not mean is that every time you experience pain, it's God's judgment. It does not mean that. Job suffered because he was righteous. Jesus suffered because he was righteous. 
Not every pain is the judgment of God, but every pain you go through, this reality, should always cause you to not ask the question why, but the question what. God, what are you, what are you, what are you trying to lead me into? What are you trying to lead me away from? Sometimes pain is the only way to get people to repent and therefore heal. Any of you as parents ever judged your child? Kids are going, yeah, yeah, they've judged me. Yeah, you do that. Do you do that because you just love to see them suffer? Some of you aren't sure. I can just see by the look on your face. You're not sure. No, it's not because you want to see them suffer. It's because, you know, if my five-year-old smokes a cigar, I may judge them by withholding. I'm going to let them smoke that cigar because they'll never smoke a cigar again after they take that into their body and get sick. But if your five-year-old is playing in the street and refute, you will judge them, won't you? Why? What can happen if they play in the street and get hurt? And God's judgment over all of us it's not because God is this big, egotistical, divine being who just loves to make people suffer who don't do what he says. God is not willing that any should perish, but everyone should come to repentance. And sometimes pain is the only way to get people to repent. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Is there any way that you need to say to God right now, God, what, what? Not why, why, why me, God, why me, I'm a victim. Not that, what? What do I need to hear? Chapter 9, verse 20. The rest of the people who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of their works, of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk. So God's saying, he's, he's, trying, he's, he's always trying to get us out of those wood, hay, stone idols. Today it's automobiles and houses and clothes and uh, trophies and stuff. He's trying, because they can't see or walk. You can't relate to a car, okay? Unless you're, you know, Christine, you can maybe relate to the, you know, that's, you can't relate, you can't have a relationship with a car. You can't have a relationship with a trophy. You can have a relationship with the living God. And so he's always judging us to bring us out of those identity-based things that are idolatry. And it says they didn't. Nor, verse 21, did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual morality, or their thefts. So here's the thing. It is possible that God has been pastoring you and with his shepherd's crook and leading you back to him, but you're just stubborn in your pride. A lot of people don't believe. It's not because they can't. It's because they don't want to. I may have to change. I may have to repent. Which inherent to repent is, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I'm turning to you now. This is, remember last week, the sweet and the sour. This is the sour part of the scroll. We don't like this. In America, we're going to just, you're okay, I'm okay. Dallas Willard said it so well. I love this. If you forget everything that's said today, remember these words. One does not miss heaven by a hair, but by constant effort to avoid and escape God. And he's always drawing you back to himself. He's always doing that. If you will listen. 
Is there pain anywhere in your life right now through which God might want to speak to you? It doesn't mean that every pain is God's judgment. What it does mean is that every pain can be utilized by God to just draw us into repentance. Look at the next sound, the sound of suffering, which is for the testimony of Christ. Verse 1 of chapter 11, I was given a reed. This is so cool. I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, now you go and measure the temple of God and the altar with the worshipers. So it's not a literal measuring of a temple. The temple was symbolic of the place where God is, and he's got his worshipers, and John is being told, now you measure out how many are there. Like you measure out, we need a temple this big because there are this many worshipers of the Lamb. You know, a lot of times people, this is one of the the verses in Scripture where people say, why do we count people? Because numbers don't count. Well, God's telling John, yeah, numbers do count because people count. People count. He said, you measure out. I want to know who's in. Who's in my congregation and the people of God? But exclude the outer court, which in the literal temple, which was a symbol of heaven. In the literal temple, the outer court was the court of the Gentiles. And in Revelation, the Gentiles are like the Romans who don't believe in God. And he says, don't measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for three and a half years, 42 months. Uh, Now you're going to see a common denominator, three and a half years, 42 months. And I will appoint my two witnesses and they will prophesy for three and a half years, 42 months, clothed in sackcloth. Now, a lot of people get into, who are the two witnesses, you know, is, is, are the two witnesses, it's always the president and the vice president of the United States, you know, the two witnesses. Because again, we're America-centric on how we see the whole Bible a lot of times. You know, it's not. This is really Moses and Elijah. I, a lot of people, including myself, believe this is Moses and Elijah. And guess who they represent? You. They represent you. Look at this, look at this. I will appoint my two witnesses. They'll prophesy. They'll stand for me for three and a half years, clothed in sackcloth. What was sackcloth? It was mourning. It's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to seem like a long time that they're sad. How many of you, COVID, feels like it's been around for 1,260 days? Right? It does, doesn't it? No, the way, this can't have been 11 months. This has to be longer than that because time is relative. And we would say today, here's how we would say it, COVID lasted 1,260 days. And we wouldn't say that literally. We would, if we were John's audience, we'd be meaning that as, like, this feels like this is going on forever. Is this ever going to end? He said, that's what it feels like. They are the two olive trees, which is symbolic of the people of God. They are the two lampstands, which is symbolic of the people of God. They stand before the Lord of the earth, which is representation of the people of God. And if anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die, that stand before the Lord of the earth. They have power to shut up the sky so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. That's Elijah. That's why we think this is one of them is Elijah. And they have power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Who struck the earth with plagues? Moses did. That's why the the lawgiver and the prophet, they represent the the people of God. Now, when they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up in the abyss will attack them and overpower them and kill them. And and this is, again, symbolic, not a literal. Every time I read that, I do think of Ghostbusters, you know, and the the beasts on the, the top of the building in New York City. That it's symbolic of this beastly reality. And look at this, look at this. 
Their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city. How many of us have seen images of soldiers' bodies being dragged through Baghdad? It's so grievous, isn't it? And that's the picture here. This is figuratively called Sodom in Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. So this symbolizes those who have died, the, the, the martyrs in that day who have died like Christ. And the enemy gloats because they think we've won. And look at this, look at this. This is so cool. For three and a half days. Many from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. They are the refuse of the earth. Those fools who followed the Christ who said Domitian isn't Lord. Nero isn't Lord. Jesus is Lord. Those fools who were part of this sect of Christians, little Christ. And the inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them, will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. The, the righteous will judge the unrighteous, the Bible says, not in the sense that we will stand and say, you're in, you're out, but in the sense that your life is going to be a testimony to what was possible. Eugene Peterson says, most of the families in the late first century that John was writing to would have friends or relatives among those saints and martyrs. How many of you know someone who's had COVID, been sick with COVID, or died from COVID? Raise your hand. To this day, there are a lot of people on the earth that if I said, how many of you know someone who's died for their testimony of Christ, that many people could raise their hand. And in the first century, that many people could raise their hand. Do you how many, see how many hands went up? I baptized three dear people to me yesterday morning, and I said, this is the act of martyrs. Because when people stood in water and said, Jesus is Lord, not Domitian, not Nero, not Caesar, it was an act of insurrection against the Roman Empire. And they would frequently die when they came out of the water. But look at this. But after the three and a half days, who died for, who was in the tomb for three days? Anybody remember anyone who was in the tomb for three days? This is three and a half days. As much as it was agonizing for the disciples in those three days, this is three and a half days. And I, he, he's saying, I know a lot of you are living a three and a half day life right now. The breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet and terror struck those who saw them. Yeah, they look like losers, but just wait three and a half days. Wait your three and a half days. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. And the seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah and he will reign forever and ever. Can I get an amen? amen. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to, oh no, it doesn't say is to come. Why? Because he's come. Because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. You see, this has happened, this will happen, is happening, is happening right now and will happen. The truth of this is there's going to come a day when is to come will no longer be said. Because the final come, the final come up here has been accepted and it's over. But in the meantime, you are living the, this has happened to you. You're being, your life is under threat if you're of Christ. 
it is happening to you. Right now he's saying to you, come up here. And someday it's going to happen where he says, come up here for the last time. And you say, all right. I've done this before. I've engaged with heaven's silence. I've come under the authority of our Christ and our Messiah. And it, it'll, be, it'll be easy for you to come up here. This is why we, why we don't live in fear of death, friends. Because it's a, an answer that we've already answered. Come up here. Come on up here. Romans 2, 4 says this. And it's so easy in Revelation to see the blood, the beasts, and the bulls, and judgment. And it's so easy to see that through the lens of some of them are going to get theirs. But what really Revelation is about, it's really about this divine justice that actually gives life meaning. But it's about the goodness of God. He's always has, always will say to you, come up here. I've given you the lamb, the sacrifice that has taken care of all the problem that you and I had. Now come up here. And today if you hear his voice, it's not the last time you'll hear come up here. But today will you answer that? Right now, will you answer? Say, Lord, I'm, I'm coming to you. I may be living in you, but I'm coming to you. I'm repenting. I'm closer to you when I leave this room than what I was when I came in. Romans 2.4 says, Do you show contempt for the goodness of God? Not realizing that it is the goodness of God that leads men and women to repentance. It's God's goodness that actually causes us to say, why would, why would I say no? So we're going to close our day with we just sit here and we soak our souls in the goodness of God. Want to do that before we leave, gang? Let's do that right now. Let's just allow our souls to soak that, that he is faithful and true what he says he will do. He will do it.